Hey everybody, this is Chris Mata, host of a podcast, A Mata of Opinion. On this show, we will be celebrating the best time of the year, football season. Each episode, we will be covering different topics such as stats, rankings, predictions, and assessments. Welcome, and stay tuned for today's episode, Where We Stand. So we're going to be looking at just the overall standings for the divisions. So a quick take at the AFC East, we have a 5-1 and one Bills, a 4-2 and two Jets, and the Dolphins and Patriots at a 3-3. Three and three. For the AFC West, we have the Chiefs and Chargers with a 4-2 and two record, with the Broncos behind at a 2-4, and four, and the Raiders at the bottom of the barrel with a 1-4. For the AFC North, we have the Ravens and Bengals with a 3-3, three and three, the Browns and Steelers at a 2-4 and four record. For the AFC South, we have the Titans and Colts at a 3-2 and two record, Colts of course having that one tie under their belt as well. We have the Jaguars at 2-4, and four, and the Texans at 1-3-1. One, Moving over to the NFC East, we have the undefeated Eagles at 6-0, the Giants at 5-1, and the Cowboys at 4-2, with, of course, the Commanders being the bottom of the barrel at 2-4. For the NFC West, we have the 49ers, Rams, and Seahawks all sitting at 3-3, and the Cardinals sitting at 3-4. For the NFC North, we have the Vikings at 5-1, the Packers at 3-3, the Bears at 2-4, and four, and the Lions at 1-4. and four. Surprisingly, in the NFC South, we have the Buccaneers struggling with the same record as the Falcons at 3-3. Three and three. We have the Saints at 2-5, and five, and of course, we have the Panthers at 1-5. and five. So at this point in the season, the teams that I'd like to highlight are going to be the Jets sitting at a 4-2. and two. Then we also have the Eagles at a 6-0, and oh, the Giants at a 5-1, and one, and the Cowboys sitting at 4-2. and two. But with a quiet 5-1, and one, we have the Vikings that are taking control of the NFC North. And there's a lot to be impressed with here, but the franchise that is impressing me the most is definitely going to be the Jets. We have not seen them have a winning season since 2015 where they went 10-6. and six. That was when Fitzpatrick was the top rusher, Chris Ivory was the top rusher. This is insane. So now we're sitting at a 4-2 and two record. They only have to win five more games this year just to have that winning record again. And mind you, this is the second season for Robert Sala. This is an absolute huge turnaround for that franchise. But right behind them, we're going to have to talk about the 5-1 and one Giants who haven't seen a winning season since 2016. Now, that was back when they still had Eli Manning, who of course was throwing to Odell Beckham. So we look at their brand new rookie head coach, Brian Dayball, and here's the thing. He spent eight years with the Patriots. He has five Super Bowl rings. He spent one season with Alabama as the offensive coordinator and collected a national championship in 2017. So most recently, he was the offensive coordinator for the 2018 to 2021 Bills. So this is a team that we've seen be offensively explosive. And we're looking here, it's just one of the Belichick coaches that have finally been successful on their own. And traveling down memory lane, if you can't recall, there was Al Groh, who was with the New York Jets and had a 9-7 and record. There was Nick Saban, who did the 2005-2006 to stint with the Dolphins, being 15-17. and There was Romeo Crennel with the Cleveland Browns, who went 24-40. and With the Chiefs, he went 4-15. and And with the Texans, he was 4-3. and Then there was Eric Mangini, who was with the New York Jets. He was 23 and 25. Then he was with the Cleveland Browns, and he was 10 and 22. Then we moved to Jim Schwartz, who was with the Detroit Lions from 2009 to 2013 with a record of 29 and 51. 
We also have Josh McDaniels, who is currently from 2009 to 2010 with the Denver Broncos, who was 11 and 17, who is now currently head coaching the Raiders, who are now sitting at a one in four. After that, we go to Bill O'Brien, who was with the Texans from 2014 to 2020 with a record of 52 and 48. Then we move to Matt Patricia, who was with the Detroit Lions from 2018 to 2020, who had a record of 13, 29, and 1. Finally, we come over to Brian Flores, who was with the Dolphins from 2019 to 2020, who had a record of 11 and 15. Next, we have Joe Judge, who was with the New York Giants from 2020, and that was it with a record of 3 and 7. So it's easy to say that the Patriot way does not work for the coaches once they leave and try and settle in on their own teams. But here we have Brian Dayball already sitting at a 5-1, and one, but keep in mind we're not even halfway through the season yet. But one has to wonder, what is he doing differently that so many other coaches have tried with the Giants and just absolutely failed? And one of the things that was just brought up about him and his coaching style is, and I hate to do cross-sports analogies here, but we're talking about Steve Kerr, the head coach for the Golden State Warriors. He believes... Everybody from your last bench player to your superstar should be ready to put minutes in last minute. They should continue to develop themselves and compete. And that's the same kind of mentality that Brian Dable brings to the table. He understands, yes, I have my superstars, but I need everybody on this 53-man roster ready to compete. And that's been showing. Their injuries have been going up, but their production has been going up as well. And I know I just brought up Nick Saban and how he was unsuccessful in the NFL, but if you look at how he runs the college game right now, there's no denying he's one of the best to ever do it. And it comes down to the same thing. They are stressing the scheme. They are stressing do your job. They do not focus on superstars. And the other person that does that in the NFL is going to be Belichick. I mean, you look how Bailey Zappi was able to come in. Now, granted how successful and prolific of a passer Bailey Zappi was in college, he would not be as successful if he landed anywhere else trying to make this attempt. And before I just give all the credit to Brian Dable, he's had one thing that the Giants head coaches haven't had in a while, and that's a healthy Saquon Barkley. And he's one of the outstanding talents that is in the NFL right now. And again, he lands with Christian McCaffrey when you're talking about yeah, when he's healthy, he's great. And that's just the thing. How long can you stay healthy in this league and still perform? And with those two guys, I love seeing them on the field. And we're going to talk about Christian McCaffrey going to the 49ers later on. But right now, he's had a healthy Saquon Barkley, and he does not expect to get cute with the ball. He just puts blockers where they need to be and lets Saquon do the rest. Everybody does their job. Saquon will do the rest. Moving on to number three, they have their offensive coordinator who he just lets be the offensive coordinator. He doesn't try and muck things up. He doesn't let his ego try and overround or push anybody out of the way. And of course, we saw, and I believe it was like week two, we saw Dable literally lighting up Daniel Jones for a poor pass into the end zone that was intercepted. Literally livid. And you love to see that. You love the corrections to happen early, especially with the struggling quarterback who's now in his fourth year, and I called it, it's a wrap on him. I said Daniel Jones was done, but Dable somehow resurrected this whole man's career, and half of that's on Saquon being back. Then we move into the actual offensive coordinator. Now, we're talking about Mike 
Kafka. He had a five-year career at quarterback, mainly a backup. He was with the Eagles, Patriots, Jaguars, Buccaneers, Vikings, Titans, and the Bengals, all from 2010 to 2015. Then in 2016, he was a graduate assistant at Northwestern, but in 2017, that's when he first started with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was the offensive quality control coach. Then he went to the quarterback's coach. Then he was the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator, and now he's landed with the Giants as the offensive coordinator. So now we have another guy that has just soaked up a lot of knowledge from Andy Reid. And they say a lot of wonderful things about this guy, saying he's held one of like the top four offenses in the league ever since 2017. But again, how hard is that to do when you got Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, and everybody else firing on all cylinders? I mean, that, that machine pretty much runs itself. But you can learn what works with those types of players. So, for instance, Brian Dable, he was working with Josh Allen over with the Bills. So he understands, hey, if you have a quarterback that can run, let's not just constrict him to a pocket passer, but let's not overextend him, making him run nine times out of ten. So then we go over here to Kafka, who is working with Patrick Mahomes, the same style of player, someone that can run but doesn't need to run because they're going to work the field as they need. Can they extend the play? Can they just push the ball downfield? Now, the one thing that neither the Bills or the Chiefs has is a solid running back like Saquon Barkley. So again, it starts in the backfield, and then it just works its way out. So when you have these coordinators that have studied with Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, and Nick Saban, I sure hope they paid enough attention to get something to work. And here it is on paper. We see him going 5-1 and one with a team nobody even thought was going to win over six games this season, and here they are about to do it. And the third thing, and this will be the last thing before we move on to the next topic, but what I absolutely love about Brian Dable is his clock management. There are rookie mistakes happening all around the leagues when it comes to clock management. I mean, you look at Nathaniel Hackett week one when he's just not knowing what the hell to do with a timeout. Brian Dable is on the ball. When you are in a four-minute offense, he is moving when it is a two-minute drive and he's got timeouts, he is using them strategically to move them downfield. Not only with that, but with the play calls as well. It's his situational awareness that he just has this poise in operating in. And that's one of the few things you can say about any of the coaches in the NFL. There are some that are spectacular when operating in that two-minute drill. And Brian Dable has been studying, and he is going to be one of those that just has the answer. He's not going to be sitting there stumped. For 45 seconds you best believe he's already got the next play in pocket ready to move what is the next scenario if this happens my kicker's coming out if that happens we're just going to spike here and if none of that works we'll just take a knee right here this man seems to have the answers when the scenario calls for it moving on the next team that is shocking everybody is of course the Jets now we know Robert Sala is in his second year with this team and if you're not familiar with his story, it goes back to 2002 where he starts as the offensive assistant or tight end coach at Michigan State, hops over to Central Michigan in 2004, hops over to Georgia in 2005. Finally, he lands in the NFL for the Texans in 2005 as a defensive intern. From there, he will move to the Seattle Seahawks from the 2011 to 2013 season. That was the Legion of Boom. He was a defensive quality control coach at the time. He will then hop over to the Jacksonville Jaguars from 2014 to 2016 as the linebackers coach from there. That is where we have come to know how dangerous this man is 
because he went to the 49ers from 2017 to 2020. He was able to carry a Garoppolo all the way to at least a Super Bowl attempt. Now, we all know how that ended out. Kansas City came back and took it from them. But hey, that defense was top-notch. So from there, that's where he's with the New York Jets in 2021. Now, his first season was forgetful. They were a whopping 4-13. and So here we are in 2022, and they've already won just as many games as they won last season. They are sitting at 4-2, second in their division. They had Joe Flacco as the starter for a while because Wilson was recovering from injury. He came out and did a 1-2 record for them. Of course, delivering the big upset to the Cleveland Browns, winning 31-30. But from that point forward, we're going into week number four. All of their opponents have been held to 20 points or fewer. And that is where the excellence of Salah is showing. Last season, they allowed their opponents to average 29.6 points per game. This season, they are allowing only 21.3. So that's an eight-point improvement over one season. And, I mean, it could go up because we still have a lot of football to play. But just looking at where we are to date, NFL offenses, on average, score 21 points per game. And if you are holding them directly at that average and allowing your offense to score 23.8 points per game, statistically, you are going to win those matchups. And this is only going to get better because this defense is going to gel. And, of course, Zach Wilson's still young, so so give him time to get over this injury phase. Hopefully that's just a phase. And continue to develop with this offensive core. Looking at the upcoming schedule, I'm not too concerned about them playing the Broncos. They can't really score over more than 17 points. Russell Wilson's going to be out with a hamstring injury. But here we go. They'll square off against the Patriots and the Bills. Then they'll go on a bye week for Week 10, come back and play the Patriots again. From there, they will play the Bears. Not too much concern. But then they'll have to square off against the Vikings, who are sitting at a quiet 5-1. and one. The Bills, who are just blowing up everyone. But then the closing of their season could be the clinching playoff scenarios. In Week 15, they will square off against the Lions. Week 16, it's the Jaguars. Week 17, it's Seattle. And then Week 18, it's the Miami Dolphins. So again, those are the probably four games that will make the difference between them being in a playoff scenario and them just missing it. So skipping around the league here now, uh, just doing a quick run-through of just a couple of hot takes here. So we have the Dolphins sitting at a 3-3. Three and three. We got Tua Tungavailoa coming back, looking at their stretch of games coming up. They're going to be playing the Steelers, Lions, Bears, Browns, Texans, and then finally the 49ers. So they got a good stretch of five games where they could be pulling out wins and helping get back into playoff contention, trying to run down the Buffalo Bills just a little bit. Then we go to the Patriots, who are also sitting at a 3-3. Three and three. They will play the Bears, Jets, Colts, Jets again, and then finally the Vikings. So looking at their next four games, they could be gaining some ground, trying to close in on the Bills trying to stay in the playoff contention. Big question coming up for the next couple of weeks is just going to be, is Mac Jones going to be taking over under center, or are they going to stick with Bailey Zappi? Of course, over here, I'm saying stick with the hot hand. If Bailey Zappi's got it, and he's running it, and he's figured it out, I think he throws a better ball than Mac Jones, but Mac Jones may have a better understanding of the offensive system that they're trying to run, but apparently they're able to get some wins with some simple moves. Then we're moving into the AFC West. Again, we have the Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders. Chiefs and Chargers are battling it out for first place. I like how the Chargers are hanging around. I still think they'll be better off in the back half of the season when their defense has finally recovered and their injuries are slowing down a little. With the Broncos, their season is officially cooked. 
We have Russell Wilson, who's going to be missing a must-win game against the Jets, hopefully coming back against the Jaguars. But looking at their schedule and how slow this offense is actually developing, it's going to be hard to actually pull out some of these wins here because they're going to be playing against the Raiders again, the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Cardinals, who just dropped a 42 bomb on the Saints. They'll, they got a shot against the Rams because they're not looking so hot this year. But then they play the Chiefs and the Chargers again. And just to clarify, not saying this won't be a winning franchise eventually. It's just the offense is slow to develop. And of course, I'm going to put a lot of blame on Nathaniel Hackett just because of his piss poor clock management and his poor personnel decisions. Melvin Gordon should have been cut week two. There's no reason to have this guy hanging around claiming he can help the team when he's already blown two games for this team. And again, this is not a rash decision. This has been a consistent problem. Melvin Gordon cannot hold on to the football. Move on. We've given him plenty of opportunities. Thank you. You've had a great career in the NFL. The defense is still holding on, looking amazing, do the best that they can. Again, they just have to wait for this slow-developing offense to finally click, and it will click, but it's just not going to be this season. And Raiders fans, just be patient. They are now entering the most forgiving games of their season. They will be playing the Texans, Saints, Jaguars, Colts, Broncos, and Seahawks. These next five games can put them right back into playoff contention. They'll be there. Their record's going to clean up a bit. Just stay patient. Again, the most winnable games of their season are going to be these next five games. If they don't pull these off, then you panic and then think, well, there's always next year. Looking at the AFC North and their standings, again, the Ravens and Bengals are at 3-3. Three and three. The Browns and Steelers are at 2-4. and four. And that's how I picture this entire division to stay. I don't see anybody walking away. I still think this is the Ravens' division to lose. But the way the season is going, it's not going to be decided in-house. It's going to be the games they can win outside of their division because they're just splitting games at this point, and they also have one more crack at each other. So the final standings are probably going to look a lot similar to last season. You'll probably have a 10-7, and 7, a 9-8, and 8, and two 8-9 and nine teams. But again, I still think it's the Ravens going to come out on top this season. Moving into the AFC South. Now, the AFC South has been a complete crapshoot. We have the Titans at the top at 3-2. and two, The Colts behind them at 3-2-1. and one, The Jaguars sitting at a 2-4. and four, And a Texans at a 1-3-1. and one. For the Titans, they're looking a little bit sluggish. You can tell they're missing A.J. Brown. Derrick Henry had a slow start to the season. Definitely picking up steam now. Ryan Tannehill, not really that impressive. But, of course, he's just their staple at this point. But I do have some high hopes seeing Malik Willis going into the late part of this season. The Colts are on a hot and cold streak. We really don't know what to expect from them yet. They'll drop 24 points in one quarter and then play an entire game without scoring anything. But they are on a two-game win streak now, sitting at 3-2-1. and one. Looking at their upcoming schedule, they will be playing the Titans, the Commanders, the Patriots, the Raiders, the Eagles, and the Steelers. Again, not that forgiving of a schedule. We'll see what they're actually made of, but maybe this is just a gigantic learning curve for the Titans and this staff. I do enjoy seeing Matt Ryan going back to his previous performances, closing in on 300-yard games. Now if we can just see it ramp up in this touchdown production and be put on notice, this Jelani Woods tight end, again, could be the next Gronkowski. This man is just massive. They haven't really utilized him in the red zone as much as I personally would like to see. And just due to his size, it just makes sense. But we'll see how they continue to develop this offensive scheme and how they perform against these actual top dogs. I mean, 
They will have to play against the Eagles. They will have to play against the Vikings. And then I'm going to throw in the Cowboys right there on December the 4th because that is a top-tier defense that they're going to have to figure out how to move the ball against. So again, the Colts, let's stay on standby, but they are leaning in the right direction. I enjoy seeing the Jaguars compete. Now, watching them do a 38-10 to blowout against the Chargers hurt just a little bit because I'm such a Justin Herbert fan, but then they squared off against the Eagles. They they played an outstanding game. They really just came up short at the end, but to come out and take a 14-0 lead on the Eagles, I know they were sweating that win. But again, we're looking for more consistency here because they played against the Texans the following week and only scored 13 points. And then finally, they did show up against the Colts and they dropped 27. Mind you, the Colts did win that game 34-27. to But again, we're seeing finally a Jaguars team willing to compete in these games. And we're going to be seeing a chess match this week because Brian Dable is going to be squaring off against Eric Peterson. Now, mind you, these men know football at this point. There is no question about it. So will it be a high-scoring antic game? Probably not. I have this affair falling into the 14- to 18-point range as far as who's coming out on top. It's just whose defense shows up and shows out. And right now I'm going to give the edge to Brian Dable. After that, they'll be playing the Broncos, Raiders, Chiefs, Ravens, and Lions. So yes, a couple of iffy games there against the Raiders and the Chiefs, but the Broncos are struggling. The Ravens' defense is just non-existent. The Lions have struggled to close out games. So again, we could see them get a couple of wins here, moving closer to a winning season, but I doubt we'll see them topple everything over in the AFC South. For the Texans, I mean, they're sitting at a 1-3-1, not much to expect. Their running back, Damian Pierce, is very impressive, but it will be a long reboot route for them. They will need to bring in some receivers. They eventually will have to see if this Mills quarterback runs out. Their defense is okay at best, but again, they're in a rebuild, and it's going to be a couple of seasons before we see them move away from that. So now we're moving over to the NFC, and specifically we'll start with the NFC East with the undefeated Eagles. I want to say the worst is behind them now. The Steelers, the Texans, the Commanders, the Colts, and the Packers are their next in line. I believe you can serve them up and knock them down. These Eagles just are on a completely different level this year. Personally, I did not see this coming. I thought Miles Sanders would definitely be down by another injury by now. I didn't see Jalen Hurts being this accurate with the ball. And I did not expect for the wide receivers to actually click this fast. So again, very surprising from the Eagles, but they are going into a very soft portion of their schedule, and I think the next biggest opponent they're going to have to worry about is Brian Dable because, hey, he's got these Giants believing, and yes, they will play the Cowboys again, but the game that they played against the Cowboys round one, it didn't matter if Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott played. They simply had the Cowboys number. Moving over into the Giants, who are sitting at a 5-1 and one right now. Again, they'll be squaring off against the Jaguars next, the Seahawks, the Texans, the Lions, and then the Cowboys again. And anybody from the NFC East, you can't really look at me and tell me they have hard schedules because most of the time they're just playing each other, and that's a division that's just been weak overall, and that's why the Cowboys usually end up coming on top and being a first-round exit in the playoffs. It's just a different level of competition everywhere else. And this may be a bit premature, but I see the Giants securing at least 10 wins this season if they manage to do that. They might just sneak into these playoffs on a wild card. Dropping down to the last in the division, we have the Commanders. They're sitting at a 2-4 and four record. Now, I know it's been a rough start for them, especially since they've been trying to rely on wins, giving them another shot around just to see if he can get them to where they need to be. 
But looking at their schedule coming up, they're going to have to be playing the Packers, the Colts, the Vikings, the Eagles, the Texans, and then the Falcons. None of this is going to be too kind to them. They did get close to the Titans, but I think that was garbage time minutes more than anything. They barely beat the Bears in that ugly Thursday night game that I pray we don't have to sit through another one of those watching paint dry or the grass grow kind of games because it was just awful. However, the next hurdle that the commanders are going to have to get over is Wentz is going to be out for a couple of weeks. I think they quoted him at least four to six weeks. And it's a coin flip right now. I'm not sure if they selected Sam Howell, their rookie quarterback, to come in, or Taylor Henneke. And I love seeing Henneke compete because he's almost like a Ryan Fitzpatrick. No, he may not win a bunch of games, but that's the kind of player that will leave it all out on the field. You will never feel like he's holding back on you. He will give 110% effort, and he will encourage everyone around him to do the same. And with that being said, I hope we get to see Henneke again, but I can understand if you give Howell a couple snaps because maybe, just maybe, that is your franchise ready to turn the corner. And now we are in the NFC West. And if you thought if the AFC North was close in all of their games, the NFC West is just hugging each other. We have the 49ers, Rams, and Seahawks all at a 3-3. and We have the Cardinals finally at a 3-4 and record. To start with the 49ers, yes, it was a shame that Trey Lance went down as soon as he did because everybody was ready for the mobile quarterback era. Everybody was ready to see how wide open this playbook could look. But Jimmy Garoppolo, he's like, you know what? Hang on. Give me that mic. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the roast of Jimmy Garoppolo. All right, all right, all right, all right. Jimmy Garoppolo is like that three-legged stray dog you fed, and it followed you home. You feel bad for kicking it out, but you don't really want it, and nobody else does either. Jimmy Garoppolo is like winning a free vacation, but you have to board flight 370 from Malaysia Airlines. All right, okay. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is like when your mother calls you handsome, but that's the only woman that does. All right. Jimmy Garoppolo is like one-ply toilet paper. It's better than nothing, but in the big moments, it will just let you down. But on a serious note, Garoppolo is the last hope for the 49ers right now. They did just bring over Christian McCaffrey to help take some of the workload off, which was an interesting move because running back was never really the main concern about this team. But it's nice to know that they looked up, they realized, hey, we could take the entire division this year. The Rams are looking soft. The 49ers have constantly had the Cardinals number. And Seattle, while yes, Geno Smith has done some amazing things, I still give it to the 49ers being able to hold Seattle in check. So again, they looked up, realized the division is ours. We can make a deep push into these playoffs and maybe get ourselves back to another Super Bowl win. And they were honest. They looked at Jimmy Garoppolo and they were like, yes, this is our best shot right now, but this is not going to carry us all the way. So they added another piece to the puzzle. They brought in a running back that is just hopefully going to get them over that last hump. As soon as the trade was announced, people automatically talked about how Christian McCaffrey cannot stay healthy. But it was a self-fulfilling prophecy playing for the Panthers. Yes, he had the heaviest workload, no doubt, because he was the team. He had to run every single ball. And when he wasn't running the ball, he was the checkdown guy. If he wasn't the checkdown guy, he was the screen option. There was zero rest for this man. But now you bring him into the 49ers offense that's loaded. You have Kittle. You have Ayuk. You have Juszczyk. 
You have Garoppolo that I'll name just out of respect, but you also have Debo Samuel. So he will not be expected to carry the entire offense. He can just focus on solely his job, and his job will be taking pressure off the pass game, which he can do. And now when you have somebody that you know can also start splitting carries with him, not like a 50-50 scenario, more like a 70-30, I would still run Wilson on some of these drives just to keep McCaffrey fresh and to keep him off that injured reserve list because you're going to need him come playoff time. Looking at the Rams, they're sitting at 3-3. Three and three. They have no answer in the backfield. Henderson, Akers, just no answer whatsoever. Their defense is okay, but they can't really do much now. There's no draft capital left. They already sold the farm. They've already spent all the big money. This is the repercussions of selling all in for one year and not really thinking about the long-term gains. But hey, that's the price of glory. And McVay being the kind of coach he is, he's probably going to try and write this ship, hoping for at least 10 wins this season hoping to develop more talent instead of having to go out and buy talent, which they're definitely going to be running short on funds. Next, we have the Seattle Seahawks, of course, at 3-3 three and three without Russell Wilson, but Geno Smith just, how can you not be happy for this man? He spent about seven years being a backup. He did have his opportunity with the Jets to start, if you really want to call that an opportunity, but now here he is in the high-flying offense that is the Seahawks. They do have a running back in Kenneth Walker and DJ Dallas, so they aren't lacking in the backfield at all. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are still around, and now you have a lot of draft picks coming up next year, and I'm not sure you want to waste one on a quarterback. I mean, maybe go down into the late rounds and find yourself one that you can eventually develop, but I think you'll be fine with Geno Smith the way that he's operating in this offense right now. It's going to be hard to find somebody that knows it better just because of the many years that he's backed up Russell Wilson, but also because he's a mobile quarterback, and that's the way the game is shifting. Am I saying the way the pocket passer is done? Absolutely not. It's just more teams are leaning towards the dual-threat quarterback, not only because you don't only have to rely on one running back for all of your rushing gains, but they will also be able to extend plays and just keep your offense on the field. Looking at the Seahawks, though, they're going to go into some hard-fought battles. This week, they'll be squaring off against Justin Herbert and the Chargers. From then, it will be the 5-1 Giants. And then against the Cardinals, the Bucks, the Raiders, the Rams, they'll finally get a break against the Panthers, but then it's right back to the 49ers and the Chiefs. So, yes, the Seahawks are looking impressive for considering what they lost in Russell Wilson, but right now this offense has stayed productive. They are still moving the ball. They still have chances to win this game. They're going to stay competitive. It's just they're going to be in that awkward spot where it's just not good enough to get to the playoffs, but not bad enough to get like a first-round draft pick. And nobody likes it when their team tanks, especially when you consider these are professionals and this is what they're supposed to be doing. Pay them to compete. I don't care if you're going out there and you're next to somebody that's a third-string nobody walk-on. You still got to go 100% because if not, one, you're going to injure yourself if you're not ready to go 100%. Two, you have fans that have paid to see you, and not everybody's in this scenario, but there are some parents that save up all year just to take their kid to a game for like a special event, a birthday, maybe a Christmas gift, or something like that, and their favorite player is sitting out there on the bench, or he's demanding a trade and doesn't even want to play anymore. And I get that you just signed a contract stating that you would play for this team under this head coach, and the fans don't dictate any of that, but they do dictate how much funds go into the NFL, so let's just keep them happy, am I right? To wrap this up, looking at Seattle's rest of the schedule here, there's still 11 games out there, and if they can walk away with five of them, they'll finish with an 8-9 and season. I don't think that'll be good enough to make the playoffs, but again, that's still great considering everybody thought it was a washout, done season when Russell Wilson left. Last in the division, we finally have the Cardinals. They're sitting at 3-4. and four. 
DeAndre Hopkins did make his return. He played a big role that night, but it was definitely the defense and the two interceptions they had against Andy Dalton that closed out that win. Looking at the rest of the schedule, the Cardinals will have to play the Vikings, Seahawks, Rams, 49ers, Chargers, Patriots, Broncos, Buccaneers, Falcons, and the 49ers. Looking at that, realistically, I think they can scoop up another five wins, maybe get this closer to a 9-8 and eight season, and get ready to steal a wild card spot. And finally, we find ourselves in the NFC North. We're going to start with the Vikings, who are sitting at a 5-1. and one. And yes, they do have O'Connell, who is another rookie head coach, and he is having a phenomenal go of it. But he did have a head start that other head coaches did not have. He's starting with Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen. They've had a couple of disappointing playoff losses in the past, but now they're looking forward to the future. So they'll be playing against the Cardinals, the Commanders, the Bills, the Cowboys, and the Patriots. There are three games that everybody needs to watch, and that will tell you how ready they are for this playoff run that's about to embark. One being the Buffalo Bills and how they can handle a high-flying offense. Two being the Cowboys, how well they can push the ball against a great defense. And then finally, three, the Patriots. Now, I know they're not what they used to be. They're probably a ghost of their old selves. But again, you still have to respect Belichick and his game planning and halftime adjustments. If you are able to game plan and counter the halftime adjustments against Belichick, then you are in a solid position as a head coach directing these guys through the playoffs. Now, with those three things in mind, if you get two out of three, not bad, because after that, you'll play the Jets, the Lions, the Colts, and the Giants. The next big if is the Packers, but they've already manhandled them once. So we'll see how that goes on round number two. But right now, I have them on the path to at least getting a 12-win season and maybe a smidge more if they really do step it up and take it to the Bills. Next in line, we have the 3-3 three and three Packers. Now, this is a bit of a head-scratcher here because I did not expect to see Aaron Rodgers struggling this much. And yes, I realize that he did lose Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but he still has Alan Lazard, and he still has Tanyan at tight end. So yeah, we're just waiting for Watson and Dobbs to actually feel comfortable operating in this offense and stop dropping wide open passes. But again, that's just something that's going to develop over time. And when you have elite ball placement like Aaron Rodgers, it's just a matter of when, not if. And their best game is yet to come because here they have to play the Washington Commanders who have to go to their secondary quarterback. I expect Green Bay to take full advantage of this game, get the ball to the rookies right away, get them comfortable, build some mojo so when they go and play the Bills, they can kind of at least minimize the bleeding of that beating that is absolutely going to happen. But following that, you're going to be playing the Lions, the Cowboys, the Titans, and then the Eagles. So yes, you're going to go through the nitty-gritty right now but when you come out through the other sides, you got the Bears that are struggling, the Rams that are struggling, the Dolphins that are struggling. You'll get your second shot at the Vikings, and then you'll end off the season against the Lions. So yeah, they're going to be going through the thick of it right now, but I think they'll be better for it when they hit the end of their season trying to sneak into that playoff spot. And that sounds a little crazy thinking that the Packers are going to be missing the playoffs. And the last time that they actually had a losing record was 2018 when they were 6-9-1. and one. And yes, that was with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. So before you jump on Aaron Rodgers saying he can't win anything without Adams, well, he couldn't win anything with Adams at one point in time. So again, it's just trying to click 
and finding these new receivers inside this offense. Jumping down to the Chicago Bears, who are now third in the division with a record of two and four. There's not much more you can hope out of the Bears at this point in time. Their schedule doesn't get much easier. They do have a couple of teams that they do have a chance of beating. Again, that's going to be like the Lions, the Falcons, and the Lions again. Justin Fields will need a couple of more receivers out there just so they can start building a new offense. I do like David Montgomery. He runs hard. They even have Khalil Herbert, and he's running great too. So, hey, it's just pretty much a rebuild for the Bears, and let's see if they can just continue to get better. But I'm hoping they can at least get three more wins out of this season. Looking at the Lions now, who are in last place, surprise, surprise, but they're at 1-4 and four right now, and they were actually leading the league in points per game until that complete shutout delivered by the Patriots' defense, beating them 29-0. So yeah, they were on a bye week last week. Amon Ross St. Brown's coming off of an injury. Their entire receiving core was actually on the injured list, and then they also lost their running back, DeAndre Swift. So still being able to score that many points on your second-string lineup there, that's not bad. But now we're going into the part of the season where they're going to be playing the Dolphins again that now have their starting quarterback, Tua, in. You're still having to handle Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Good luck there. You're going to play a struggling Packers team, which somehow, no matter how bad the Lions are, they do come out and put up a good contest against the Packers. You do play the Bears, the Giants, the Jaguars, and as well as a shot at the Panthers. So they will have an opportunity here to get closer to that, you know, eight-win season and hopefully being able to push it over that hump next season because they do have a lot of young starters here. First of all, it's Hutchinson, that edge rusher that they've been needing for a while. Next, it's Malcolm Rodriguez. We talked about him in our draft reviews, and he was a brainiac pre-snap, and they just loved his work ethic, and that has followed through into the NFL. This man is just in the right place at the right time. He is making tackles. Even though they called him undersized at 5'11", 229 pounds, this man is still putting bodies on the ground, and I absolutely love watching him play. Then there was DeAndre Swift, who blew up last year and is carrying that momentum into this year. Yes, he was struggling with injury, but we're supposed to be expecting him back this week. And then we get to Amon Ross St. Brown. Again, another guy that was explosive in the second half of the season last year, carrying that momentum in. Yes, dealing with a little bit of ankle injury, but I'm expecting that he's going to continue that trend all the way through. I can't be more excited for the Detroit Lions. I'm just waiting for it all to come together so they can start closing out these games, and hopefully Jared Goff will find a way to get it back. I mean, this is his second and will be his last opportunity to prove that he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Moving to our last group, we have the NFC South. So we're going to start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because this is obviously where all the drama is hitting. They are 3-3. Three and three. Nobody expected them to look this bad. They beat the Cowboys 19-3 in the opener. Then they go to play the Saints in their second game, and it was a slow-burning game. The score 20-10 to 10 doesn't really do it justice with just how bad that game was offensively for them. During it, a skirmish did break out. You had Tom Brady getting heated at one of the defenders, Lattimore, and that's when Mike Evans comes in with a late hit and gets himself disqualified for the next game against the Packers, which explains why the Buccaneers' offense looks so awful. They lost that game 14-12. to Then they went and played the Chiefs, where, yes, you did have Mike Evans back. You did have Leonard Fournette still there, but they lost 41-31 for a Chiefs that just looked absolutely ready for them. Then they go and play the Falcons, which they absolutely looked horrible. 
We're talking the Falcons would have won this game if there wasn't a terrible call, which it was a roughing the passer call called for Tom Brady, which, again, it was a Tom Brady type of call because we saw Patrick Mahomes get absolutely slung like a rag doll, and they didn't call that defender for anything. Then they go, and they get their butts handed to them by the Steelers, and that was actually nice to see because I want to see Kenny Pickett succeed in this league. And I heard all of that commotion that was going on through the entire week where Tom Brady didn't even prepare for this contest. He flew out to some wedding, flew back in, didn't even participate in game walkthroughs. Like, wow. And then you see him yelling at his linemen the day of the game because they're performing so bad. But I was like, what do you expect if you're not there all week for practice? Maybe there's different things that they're trying to implement in game time. And you're thinking, oh, I'm Tom Brady. I don't even need to practice. Well, that's going to catch up to you game time. And the Steelers took complete advantage of it. So they will be playing the Panthers this week, who just had an absolute fire sale on all of their players. Again, McCaffrey's gone. Robbie Anderson's gone. They're going to hold on to DJ Moore. But that's not much. So it's really just Baker Mayfield standing around waiting to get clapped by Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. From there, they will play the Ravens, the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Browns. So they do have a couple of opportunities to get that offense kick-started again. Now, with Chris Godwin back in the lineup, I do see them catching their stride once again. For the Falcons, who are neck and neck on the Buccaneers, they're looking better and better each week. And, you know, I am hoping for this Marcus Mariota comeback revenge tour, but they will be playing the Bengals, Panthers, Chargers, and the Panthers again. So they can keep themselves in a playoff position, getting ready to strike, because I think the hardest teams on their schedule right now are going to be the Ravens and the Cardinals, but those are coming in the last three weeks of the game. Because again, they will be playing the Bengals, the Panthers, the Chargers, the Panthers again, the Bears, the Commanders, and they can definitely hang with the Steelers from what I've seen. So again, Marcus Mariota making the most of his start. So we will see how this Falcons team progresses, but I think they're going to be neck and neck looking for that wild card spot to open up. Next, we can talk about the two and five Saints who are sitting at third in the division. They did come out firing, winning a nail biter against the Falcons, 27 to 26. They played a tight game with the Buccaneers. They lost to the Panthers somehow. And then they started to hang around with the Saints, 28, 25, but ended up losing that game out in the London throwdown. Then they come out and they play the Seahawks scoring 39 points, beating them 39, 32. They lose to the Bengals 26 to 30 and then they lose to the Cardinals 42-34. A lot of this is just based off of bad offensive performances. Again, Michael Thomas is out again with turf toe, so I don't know how reliable he's going to be down the stretch. Mind you, he's been gone for two seasons now just off of injury, so maybe it's time to cut your losses and look somewhere else, but the rookie Olave is looking very impressive. And I do appreciate how Callaway finds his support role inside the offense. Right now, it's the quarterback position that's coming to haunt them. Yes, Andy Dalton has put together a good stretch of games here and just seemed to fall apart against the Cardinals. Now, mind you, with the three interceptions, two of them were just really unfortunate scenarios. One went off of his receiver's hand. The second one, he was hit as he released the ball. And then on the third one, he just completely blew it. So now we're going to go into the Raiders, Ravens, and Steelers for their next three matchups. These are going to have to be hard-fought games. Their defense has been hanging with them. Of course, they were letting up way more than the league average. But if your offense can't stay on the field, that's how it's going to end up. However, if the turnover woes continue for Andy Dalton, then I definitely see Tyreek Hill 
stepping into the quarterback role once again, and they'll probably be playing gimmick football, just keeping the ball on the ground, moving around between the running back and Taysom Hill and flipping out a couple short passes. But again, if they can't complete passes and the interceptions just start stacking up, yes, they will go back to the ground game. They will slow things down. That won't be winning football, but at least it will stop the bleeding, and maybe they can at least get eight wins out of this season. And last but not least, we have the Carolina Panthers, who are sitting at a whopping one and five. They officially threw in the towel on the season. They did trade Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers for a great set of draft picks. They did get rid of Robbie Anderson to the Arizona Cardinals. They decided to keep DJ Moore. And Baker Mayfield, of course, is stuck there because of the trade with the Browns. So as far as this season goes, it's a wash. At the very least of this, you are hoping they will beat your enemy's rival. So for instance, if you are rooting for the Bengals, you're hoping they can pull out a win against the Ravens and vice versa. So they're just going to act as the upset, as the playoff deciding team. So we will see what they can do. Hopefully they can at least string together maybe a total of two more wins throughout the season. You want to feel bad for Baker Mayfield, but the scenario is not going to get any better for the Carolina Panthers. That'll cover all of the teams around the NFL, but there are two issues that kind of just stand out to me. And I think it really starts with Patrick Mahomes, who kind of started getting into it with his offensive coordinator a little bit, and it was eventually broken up by Andy Reid. And then we go into now Robbie Anderson, who absolutely lost his mind against the receivers coach and got himself thrown out of the game by his own coaching staff. And then it carries into Thursday night football with Kyler Murray absolutely laying into Kingsbury during a timeout. So I'm not sure what is going on here, but I think we're moving in the wrong direction. And I get that they're fully grown men who are making millions of dollars and this and that, but it just comes down to the basic fundamentals. Like that's your head coach. You're supposed to be a coachable player. You're supposed to find your role in there. And yeah, you can have your disagreements, but that's supposed to happen behind closed doors. And don't let that spill out into the locker room, causing this huge rift. And then now we have the Jets receiver, Elijah Moore, who is on a 4-2 and two Jets team right now, the most that they've seen in like 10 years. And he's saying he wants to get traded. So again, we're dealing with almost this pre-Madonna kind of mindset to where he's like, where are the football players at? Where are the guys that actually want to win this game that have some respect for the coach's job? Because everyone says how hard it is to find a starting quarterback in the league or play defensive back, but it's even harder to find a head coach that can get wins out of a great team. The second is going to be these roughing the passer calls. We just have to get to a point where we can at least get consistency. Now, I'm not saying it's open season on the quarterback, but we do have to realize, yes, they are wearing helmets. They put on their shoulder pads like everybody else. They're going to get hit. So the one that I'm really concerned about is the one that they called on Derek Carr when, yes, he was hit hard. But during the hit, the defender stripped out the ball and had possession of the ball and then landed on the quarterback. At that point in time, the defender became the ball carrier, so it was Derek Carr who was now expected to play defense. And this happened all in the same motion. So when he landed on Derek Carr, he was no longer a defender. He was the ball carrier. So the fact that that was even called is absolutely mind-blowing. But again, above all else, it is simply 
consistency. We can't have a Tom Brady call and then watch Patrick Mahomes get slung like a ragdoll with nothing. And one did cause the Atlanta Falcons to lose that game, and that completely shifted it. If Tom Brady was simply any other quarterback, nobody would have talked about it, no fly would have been thrown, Falcons get the ball back with an attempt to win this game. But instead, the Buccaneers get to run the clock out. And that's what we do want to avoid. We want the games to be won by the players, not by the refs. But trying to find a solution to that might incur like a review of each one of these calls, but we don't want to pause a game and send the decision all the way to New York, which again makes the refs more important than the actual players. It's just a tough scenario. And I get that player safety is now being highlighted more than ever, especially when we saw the failure of it when Tua got knocked out two weeks in a row. So yes, they're going to be taking this seriously. And yes, player safety is going to be emphasized more than anything. However, at the end of the day, this is still football. You're not going to be able to eliminate 100% of the injuries that occur. Just as long as they're not negligent and done purposefully, let the players play. But that's just a motto of opinion. So thank you for tuning in to a motto of opinion on Spotify. Don't forget to like and share.